there, boys and girls. Welcome to episode 24 of Stacey's Pop Culture Parlour. 24, that's not a particularly significant episode, but for those of you who are paying attention, next month is going to be another birthday episode. So keep an eye out for all the exciting things I've got planned that hopefully will come to fruition for that one. But for this episode, joining me in the parlour this month is the absolutely delightful Scott Grandison. Hello, Scott. Hello. Wow, I'm absolutely delightful. Anybody's ever called me that before. Do you know, for some reason, I really wanted to call you Scott Trick then, which would only make sense to people who listen to the Comedy Bang Bang podcast. (laughs) That's okay, you can call me anything you like. And it's kind of strange. So so I was working out today that we've, we separately have been podcasting for about seven years now, or at least I have. But this is... I'd, I'd never realised until I actually realised that we didn't have each other's Skype addresses. Okay. So we've never done one together. I was going to say, that's a really long time to know somebody who is a podcaster and not ever podcast with them. Exactly. That's but this is, so this is the team-up that everybody's been waiting seven years for. <laughs> Indeed. Hey, for those um, people who don't know, do you want to tell them a little bit about your podcast? Okay, so I, I do a podcast with the, the equally delightful Steve Arian um, called Comic Book Outsiders, and we've been doing it, like I was saying, for seven years. So um, we used to be doing it on a very, very regular schedule, so we do one pretty much every single week. But about, I guess about a year ago now, we sort of went into semi-retirement, and we do one now about every six weeks or so. But um, we just kind of do what what you do with, with your... So we, we don't cycle around um, uh, different guests and things like that. It's just me and him talking. But we talk about, you know, what we've been watching and what we've been reading and, and just have a catch-up, really. I was just trying to work out uh, in the this little old noggin of mine how long ago Comet Racks started. And I'm thinking that's got to have been about 2007-ish. So I think... So, so Steve and I started summer 2007... Mm-hmm. And and the vac started a little bit after that, but not long after that, I don't think. Yeah, because yeah. I get the feeling that me and Is went to Birmingham Comic Con in two thousand seven, which would have been Octoberish, and then we did mm-hmm. one straight after that, so it would have been sort of late October, early November, I think. Yeah, so I think I think Steve and I started like June two thousand and seven, mm-hmm. and I remember that in two thousand and eight, it just goes to show you how much podcasting has changed. In two thousand and eight, a bunch of us did a panel that was basically titled what is podcasting because nobody knew what it was in 2008 um <laughs> but is is was definitely on that panel and is was definitely representing uh comic wax so somewhere between definitely somewhere between bristol 2007 and bristol 2008 me and steve started up you and is started up mm-hmm. um and obviously by that point barry and dave had been going about 25 years already <laughs> very well established pair them yeah Bless them, letting us piggyback off their feed. I can't believe that was that long ago, actually. That makes me feel quite old. Uh, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> so, so how long ago did you finish being a whack? Hmm, well, I don't remember exactly when our last episode was, but um, I do remember what it was. We were talking about which comic characters we wish were real so that we could have sex with them. Um <laughs> <laughs> which wasn't intentionally our last episode. It just happened to be the last one. But I started doing the parlour in February 2012. So it must have been sort of the year before, I would have thought. 
Um, Because people were poking me at Thought Bubble in 2011 saying, why don't you podcast again? Because we miss you and we're sad. And I was like, oh, how sweet. Okay, then. (laughs) I didn't take much convincing. (laughs) Yeah, so that's kind of why Steve and I started. Well, well, actually, it's exactly the opposite reason to why Steve and I started up again. Because um, uh, you started up again because other people were missing you. And Steve and I started up again because we were missing each other. Oh, It was like, because I don't know about you. Um, but kind of in, in my circle of friends and in Steve's circle of friends, we don't have that many people that we can just like hang out and talk about really nerdy things with. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we just decided to, to get the old gang back together, <laughs> just the two of us. And, um, uh, yeah, start back up again, but kind of with a slightly less punishing schedule. <laughs> well, hey, if you ever want a pair of knockers on the show, you know where to look. <laughs> You're welcome anytime. <laughs> I always think, like, I'm so glad that we don't do recordings in person because if I were to, like, join you and, and Steve, I'd just be, like, staring up at the ceiling at the pair of <laughs> hey, guys, these people are really tall and I'm not. And it'd be, like, a tiny stace sandwich. <laughs> so, Steve and I, uh, we should probably move on and start talking about nerdy things because we're, hey, in, danger of, we're in danger of talking about things that um, only you and I are interested in at the moment. <laughs> But Steve and I actually, so Steve and I actually did try and do. It wasn't. I can't remember whether it was at Bristol or Birmingham. I think it was at Birmingham. But Steve and I just we had the, the great idea. I bought a fantastic new microphone, and we had the great idea to to record a podcast in the same room together whilst we were at this convention. And the only way that we could do it is by rearranging the chairs in such a way that we weren't in direct eye contact with each other, because <laughs> it was so hard to do actually like face-to-face have a conversation that um we had to pretend that we weren't in the same room <laughs> oh that sounds like me and phil when we recorded i think it was episode 16 of this testing out my fancy new microphone and he came and recorded in my kitchen and we were just sat next to each other like i was i was like phil am i supposed to look at you i don't this feels awkward like what am i supposed to <laughs> it's <was> really weird <laughs> oh dear Anyway, you are right. We should probably talk about, you know, something other than ourselves. <laughs> yeah. As fascinating as that subject is. Yeah. I mean, I could talk about myself all day, but um, that's not what we're here for. Right. Because I'm so absolutely lovely, I'll let you open the floor for uh, <laughs> ramblings. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal one of the things that I know that you want to talk about anyway. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and, and it's... It's timely because the last episode of this season was on last night, mm-hmm. which is the the all too short Sherlock. Yes. So what what did you think to that? Well, I uh, I I hmm. Right. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, because as much as I love it, and I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go into how much I love it. <laughs> I had some particular problems with this season. Oh, thank God! Do you know I was worried about talking about Sherlock because I have mentioned before, like you know how the internet's a terrifying place if you happen to dislike something. Oh yes. I happened to make uh, a comment once about one episode of Doctor Who that I didn't like particularly much, and like the wrath of the internet fell upon me. So I was, um, yeah, so I was a bit scared about talking about this season of Sherlock because I actually thought the third episode was only the only good one. (laughs) Yeah, so um, so I thought there was only one good one in the bunch, but it wasn't the same one as you, which is good. Oh, interesting. So so we've got some. um, We've got some disagreements, which is always healthy in a podcast. But um, so tell me, um, so tell me, sort of generally, before we talk about specific things, kind of what you did like and what you didn't like about this season. 
Okay. Um, the, but I like the the wit. <laughs> um, I think this the Stephen Moffat's very good at character driven stories. Yeah. Which I think is 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 shown a lot in Doctor Who as well. A lot of his characters are very interesting and very deep in terms of you know there's a lot to them and they develop and they change mm-hmm. but a lot of his plots don't make a whole lot of sense and there's holes all over the shop but mm-hmm. but we gloss over it because it's Doctor Who and it's pretty and I think that definitely came through with with Sherlock as well I think Sherlock's a very interesting character to begin with not that I've read any of the novels I will put that out there I do need to read them uh, and Rich was hitting me over the head with a big fat book of Sherlock earlier today <laughs> so it's gonna happen but he's a, he's a very interesting character to get right, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. if you do it even slightly wrong, he just comes off as a massive arsehole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I think that character-wise, I think the series has been really good. Um, mm-hmm. What I didn't like was I don't like how Watson is basically a damsel in distress. That always kind of irritates me because dude was in the war. Okay. Like I know he's a bit injured, but how does he keep repeatedly getting like kidnapped and rigged with bombs and drugged and put in a fire? And it's like, come on, man, defend yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, dude, (laughs) seriously. And I thought, Oh, what's the best way to word this? The first episode felt very up its own arse. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that wasn't the one that you liked the best, was it? No, no, it wasn't. No. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. The um, what was that one? Was it the empty hearse? I want to say it was called. It was. It's the empty something, isn't it? Yeah, I think it was hearse. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It seemed to me a little bit like, like I was saying earlier, the story had a lot of holes or like just bits where it just glossed over how anything happened, and it was very anticlimactic. And in it all just felt sort of like, ah, you guys will watch anything with that pretty guy in it, and I d- it didn't sit, it didn't sit right with me, and I, I can't quite put my finger on why, but I just, I don't know, I felt like the first episode was very much sort of like, you know, it didn't want to really tell you how he didn't kill himself when he jumped off yeah. mm-hmm. the building, and it didn't really want to explain any of this plot about blowing up Parliament, and then it just sort of ended with, you know, the bomb with an off switch. I was like, uh, hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it just I felt th- a little bit like pff, I got to the end and I was like, oh, is that it? Okay. So I, th- I think we kind of have the same issues with it a little bit, which is, I mean, I I love, love, love the characters. So, I mean, I, I have read all the old Sherlock Holmes and love Sherlock Holmes in all its forms. I used to, as a kid, like the really old Jeremy Brett ones that ITV did in like the 80s and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think Benedict Cumberbatch is absolutely brilliant. Oh, he's so wonderful. I have I have a massive, and I'm not ashamed to say this, I have a massive man crush on <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, I, God. I tell you what, right, here's a little secret for you. I'm a bit, um, I love a good ginger. And when right. I found out that Benedict Cumberbatch is naturally ginger, I almost did a sex wee. I was so excited. <laughs> He's so handsome. Anyway, continue. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, so so I love, I, I love me some Benedict Cumberbatch. I am. Um, again, like I said, unashamed to admit it, uh, one of the Cumber bitches. I would, <laughs> I'd place myself in that category. Um, I loved Star Trek Into Darkness mostly for Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes. Um, to the extent that when I got it on Blu-ray, I pretty much just fast-forwarded through to his bits. But anyway, so the. He's fantastic in that role, and, and I'll tell you what you say about Watson, but I think as a pairing, I think it's very good casting for both Holmes and Watson, even though they don't do as much with Watson as, as they really should. 
and so the acting's amazing, the characterization's amazing, it's written really well. But kind of the problem that I had with this this season as a whole was that it just became about the two of those and there was almost no crime in it. There was almost no detection going on mm-hmm. in any of the episodes. Like if you look at the previous seasons, there was always in, in in each episode there was always kind of something that they were trying to solve and we'd just have a great time watching these characters, you know, you know, relate to each other and the people around them and and Holmes being a bit of a sociopath and, and Watson kind of, you know, counterbalancing that and, and so on and so on. But in the, in this season, it was almost like they were they kind of took out all of the plot and all of the detection. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it just became about the two of them and their relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and there was almost nothing else in there. It, it, it kind of, it was a very, very strong character-based drama. But that was kind of all there was to it. And so my, my favourite episode was actually the second episode when there was some detection going on. There was that mystery about how that soldier got killed when he was in a shower alone and it was locked, locked from the inside. And then when they were at the wedding, there was all that... It was kind of very... I thought it was very funny the way that he was trying to extend this speech whilst at the same time <laughs> trying to work out who the target was going to be and why he was going to be murdered and things like that. But there was actually... There was a mystery there to be solved... And, and you saw the process of, of him solving the mystery. And I didn't feel like that happened very much in the first episode and in the third episode. It just seemed to be about them to me. I don't know if you agree with that or not. No, I definitely do. I think um, particularly in the first episode as well, the bits, the detective bits that they did show didn't really make any sense to me. Yeah. Um, like the bits where he was sort of trying to visualise the tube and stuff, but then it just turned out that bloke on the other end of the camera was like, oh, yeah, there is a secret tunnel. And it was like, oh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> we're not yes. finding anything out for ourselves here, are we? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, the, the only thing I will say is that I did think the reason I didn't like the second episode as much as the third was I wasn't, I wasn't keen on the way it was presented in terms of the chronology of it. If that makes any sense, uh-huh. like the little bits of. Um, you know, during the speech, the little bits of detective stuff and the going back to the stag do and back to, you know, and all hopping all over the place because it didn't seem like it flowed naturally. But I, I will say that I do think the stag do thing was kind of hilarious. Yeah, the stag do thing was very, very funny. <laughs> very, I mean, very it, funny. It, it got the amount of drink worked out exactly right. And the, the bit that really did make me laugh out loud was that they were like collapsed on, on like the chair and you think it was like four o'clock in the morning and um, Mrs. Hudson comes out and says, Are you back? already it's like half past eight at night or something like that <laughs> oh yeah i did think that was brilliant it, yeah like you say it was all about them pair but more than anything else <laughs> yeah which is kind of what we you know it's one of those things you know stephen moffat like you were saying can turn around and say you know you care about these characters so much we can just get them to do anything and you'll still watch it which unfortunately is kind of true yeah <laughs> but i just wish that they'd given it, it needs to be about something other than just those two and that's all this and that's what it was and it, i just kind of felt that so there was bits of good character there so we're, we're just going to spoil this aren't we we're not all over the shop yes okay so <laughs> So the fact that Watson's wife ended up being this person that was kind of like this ex-assassin and, mm-hmm. you know, had this really, you know, mysterious past and things like that, it just kind of felt like you just it's just trying to wrap everything up in too much of a bow. Yeah. And, and I mean, there was a couple of offhand comments that, that the reason that they ended up together is because there's, there's something inherent within Watson 
that you know the same way for the same reason yeah so the same way that for the same reason that watson gets on with Holmes, because he likes these sort of broken difficult to deal with people is exactly the same reason that you he became attracted to his wife because even though he wasn't consciously aware of it she has this very very dark past but it was just kind of like it's it it's still sort of like folding in on itself in this sort of self-indulgent everything has to revolve around those two characters and and there's, there's nothing external to their relationship mm-hmm. that is interesting in that season at, yeah. at all and another thing that i disliked about the like the very last episode, which is kind of probably just a personal thing. I didn't like the whole... Is it his mind cathedral? Oh, yeah. Oh, what, was it? A... So that's actually something... So so they show you... So in episode two, they did show you his mind cathedral because he goes into that room and he's looking at... He's, he's talking to all those women on laptops, isn't he? Or you find out... Yes. All those women on laptops. Mm-hmm. And, and that's because he's kind of... But, but it's actually played out dramatically if he's standing in a room with them mm-hmm. and, and quizzing them all about you know why they ended up going out with this mysterious guy and and that sort of helped in episode three when they did the whole mind cathedral thing that was um yeah it just didn't work very well for me Mm -hmm. i didn't i didn't mind it it seemed like the kind of thing that that sherlock would do if that that makes Uh sense it seems like a weird way of arranging your own noggin which seems like something he would do what i found odd was that what's his chops um magnuson has one too yeah which i think I, I get the feeling they were kind of trying to imply with his character that he's what sherlock would be if sherlock didn't have some sort of morals <laughs> um in in terms of sort of using his his powers as it were for good and and whereas magnuson obviously mm. used them for like you know bribery and being a massive dick but i uh yeah, I, did, I didn't mind it so much. Um, I thought it was a good way to represent what's going on in his head without just sort of sitting there watching him stroke his temples, going, hmm, think, yeah. think, 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 like Winnie the Pooh style. <laughs> <laughs> um, going back to Mary, though, I think that was really weirdly played out with her being this ex-assassin because two things I felt were wrong with it. The first is that it didn't feel like enough was actually done with it to make it as interesting as it should have been. Because mm-hmm. when it was first revealed that it was her and then she shot Sherlock in the chest, it was like, holy crap in hell. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, no, it's fine. We'll, we'll just stay married. It's all gravy. And then she's just, we'll just erase your past and we'll just pretend you're just Mary and it's all, it's all good. And I can't, the other thing I didn't like was I can't envision John ever forgiving somebody for shooting Sherlock, regardless of whether they did it in a manner that he wouldn't die. <laughs> Like, because him and him and Sherlock are so close. Like, I don't think I could forgive somebody. Like, if Rich went out and shot my best mate, I don't think I'd be married to Rich anymore. Like, <laughs> I, I think I'd be like, well, first of all, you're obviously a little bit unhinged because you're running around shooting people, and not just people, but people that you know and you know pretend to like. <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna back the fuck away from you. Yeah, and and they kind of try to justify it. So there's this line that Sherlock says where he's like, he thanks her for saving his life Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, she could have, she's a fantastic, she shoots through that 50p piece that he throws up in the air. And he's like, oh, you know, you could have so easily killed me from point blank range like that. But the reason that you did, the reason that you shot me was in order to save my life because that was the only conceivable way of getting out of that situation but it doesn't seem like that was the only conceivable way of getting out of that situation <laughs> she just sort of shot him and then walked away <laughs> yeah. yeah 
and then sort of she shot him and walked away and then met up with him a bit later and everything was pretty much okay after that. Mm. It's like, what the hell? I don't know that I would be that forgiving of anyone for shooting anybody else, regardless of the situation, really. <laughs> like, it just seemed really, I don't know. It just, it. I think Watson comes across as very sort of lapdog-ish. Um, in the sense that he's all, you know, he's he's always all over Sherlock, and it, it, I almost get the feeling that when Sherlock thanked her for saving his life, that it was almost like a, a Pavlovian response in Watson's head, like, oh, Sherlock's okay, yeah, I'm with it, I'm on it, she's okay, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's like, well, no, mate, make a decision for yourself. Are you happy with the fact that she shot him? Because I wouldn't be. <laughs> well, I don't know. It it, it didn't feel like a sensible character choice in my head yeah, and i know I mean, she's pregnant with his kid but still <laughs> but then it become. but this is you know the fact that it's so the fact that it's become very very character driven in this final season means that actually the characters have to act you know it lives and dies whether that the characters are acting in a believable way and i think i agree with you that they kind of particularly with the, the whole shooting thing and and you know Watson, he literally does just shrug it off, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. And and he got and the other thing was when she sort of gives him that um, USB stick of like basically this is who I was before I gave up everything and, and pretended to be you know Mary, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and he just throws it in the fire like no I'm not going to bother watching that. I'm sorry, I would be all over that. I'd be like, yeah. what has this woman been? Holy crap. Especially when she said you wouldn't love me once you've read it, because I think well maybe there's a reason I shouldn't then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, maybe you're not a trustworthy person. Maybe I shouldn't be married to you and raising a kid with you, perhaps. And the thing is, up until that, you know, their whole relationship up until that point is he he doesn't know who she is. He's he's now essentially married to a complete stranger. Yeah. And you would think that he'd be like, okay, you know, if this marriage is going to work, I should actually know who it is that I'm married to. Because he doesn't even know a real name. Yeah, yeah, I find that really odd. And cuz I can understand Sherlock's reaction entirely because he's Sherlock and he would see it from a very analytical sort of well you could have shot me here and killed me instantly mm-hmm. kind of point of view. So I, I completely understand that. But Watson's reaction I don't get at all except for it to be sort of I don't know almost pandering to Sherlock and the fact that if Sherlock's okay with it I am then I guess. <laughs> it's like well, yeah. That's your Which is wife. kind of out of character because you, I mean, even you know, going back, one of something that I think they did very well in the Guy Ritchie version of Sherlock with Robert Downey Jr. and something that comes across in the books, but not so much in the move in in the TV adaptations that have happened since, simply because Sherlock was generally played by quite you know an older sort of a guy, was that these were you know these were two guys in Victorian England who were independently wealthy who would, you know, tool, you know, they carried guns all over the place and they were chasing criminals down and they didn't need to do it. They did it because it was a hobby. And these were, you know, these were two hard guys who were just like, you know, running around London, mm-hmm. you know, fighting against murderers and things like that. And, you know, in the books there are chase scenes and, you know, Watson shoots people and things like that. And and you're right that he's, they've almost sort of given Watson this much more passive kind of a role where mm-hmm. he's he sort of, He's kind of the bottom in the relationship. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's because I really liked the very start of the last episode where he is, Sherlock's essentially missing again, and he decides to take it upon himself to go down to that sort of drug den and rescue his neighbor's yeah. kid. And he was totally badass and pretty amazing. And I was like, okay, this is the Watson I wanted to see. Because I was quite annoyed in the first episode by that bit where he gets drugged up and stuck in the... um. 
in the bonfire. Uh, in the bonfire, yeah. Because I just thought, oh, that's so. He's he has essentially just become a damsel in distress in the yeah. series. It's like you know, in series series one, Moriarty got his hands on him, didn't he? And there was the whole like bomb situation. Um, I can't actually remember that much about series two, which just goes to show how terrible my memory is. Oh yeah, there's a question that I have about the start of this series. Mm-hmm. Um, Watson has never questioned before Sherlock came back why Sherlock's parents weren't at his funeral. <laughs> like, what? Watson's a clever guy. He clearly yeah. noticed that. Like, surely that would ring alarm bells in your head that maybe like everything's not quite what it seems. Because that seemed like a really weird thing. Like, if you were gonna. Because obviously his parents must have known he wasn't dead in order to not go to the funeral. Yeah. But that, that should have made them want to go to the funeral to make it look more realistic. Like mm-hmm. it did, That was something that didn't make a whole ton of sense to me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I get so, confused easily. So, so what, about, what about the big reveal at the end? You know, literally in the last couple of minutes we find out that Moriarty's back. I mean, that's literally what gets said over and over again, isn't it? I'm back. Or miss me. Oh, yeah. Did you miss me? Um, yeah. <laughs> I I don't know how I feel about that because I wasn't a big fan of that guy. Um, the I can't remember the actor's name who played Moriarty, but I wasn't a big fan of his of, of that version of Moriarty at all. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, um, I know somebody who's recently started watching Sherlock because everybody was banging on about it when this series started, and he watched the first series and then went, "Okay, the second episode is terrible and Moriarty's awful. Why are you all obsessed with this?" And I was like, <laughs> "Do you know what? I actually can't tell him. Like, because thinking back on it, I didn't like the second episode of series one either. It's incredibly racist and." Yeah, I wasn't keen on Moriarty either, so I don't quite know why I went back for series two. Probably just because of Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, <laughs> well. I mean, I, I must admit, I do. I actually do think that um, I do like the guy that plays Moriarty. I can't remember his name either, um, <laughs> but I, I, I thought it was pretty cool because um, he's almost so in in sort of like in Stephen Moffat's version of Sherlock, he's, he's almost like the Joker is in Batman. He's just this kind of super intelligent guy that's just a complete nutcase yeah i think i actually think that comes across pretty well one of my favorite scenes i think at the very end of season one is the scene in the swimming pool Mm -hmm. which is where it ends with um uh moriarty there but with with watson again watson again having been kidnapped um (laughs) and he's got explosives strapped to him doesn't he i think yeah 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 so i enjoyed it and i guess you enjoyed it as well but it was just kind of I almost enjoyed it despite what they did rather yeah. than because of it, I think. Yeah, I think I was expecting more from the plot. Um, I think it, what didn't help was I was um, there was all this bigging up beforehand of the of the, the new villain for this series in, in Magnuson. And then he was sort of hinted at at the end of the first episode and then we didn't see him in the second one at all and then he was the focus of the third, but now he's dead. So <laughs> it's like, oh... He wasn't really that big of a threat then, was he? <laughs> yeah, because they, cause they originally did that with uh, Moriarty as well. That like, The first couple of episodes were about something else, but this guy was kind of there behind the scenes manipulating things. And they definitely did that with um, uh, Magnuson, because at the very end of episode one of this season, you just kind of saw his, his glasses that he was wearing mm-hmm. and then it was sort of very distinctive the way that he was sitting there and then he got revealed in this episode. But but it was kind of like, okay, now now they've done this big reveal that, you know, this is the baddie of the season. And then he was 
he was kind of barely in it after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really weird. It seems odd to me to introduce somebody at the end of an episode and then not feature them even slightly in the next one. <laughs> like that was like, yeah, yeah. What? Because I felt like the second episode was very filler-ish to me. It seemed like the kind of episode you'd get if this was like a 13-episode series uh, and, and this was like episode 7. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, just one in the middle that was, wasn't really connected to anything but was fun all the same. Like yeah, Exactly. I mean, if it, you're right. If it was a 13-episode season, it would be kind of like the funny episode. Mm-hmm. It's the sort of episode where they do something a little bit off the wall. I mean, I liked it because there was detection in it and... Yeah, so the wedding thing was, I thought it was done okay. I kind of, um, my heart did go out. I thought they did the end very well, where he, he sort of revealed that she was pregnant when they didn't yeah. know it themselves. And then he says, oh, I'll always be there for you. And then he turns around. because So they built it up previously in the episode where he'd revealed that he actually loves to dance. Mm-hmm. And then he turned, he, he sort of tries to find that girl that clearly fancied him that he wasn't particularly interested in, but he's like, oh, I'll go and have a dance with her. And she's dancing with somebody else. And then he goes to find a forensic scientist that is clearly obsessed with him and is, is dating somebody that looks almost identical to him. Yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, it really was, wasn't it? But she was dancing with, with her new boyfriend. And then in the end, he just sort of walks out and leaves. And then he's, you know, the final shot is him, you know, like, you know, doing his coat up and you know putting his the collar up of his coat and then walking past where the reception's being held and everybody's having loads of fun and I thought that was sort of quite touching because he's sort of this sociopath that has trouble relating to people but it also makes him extremely lonely at the same time mm-hmm. and I thought that was nicely done yeah. and the, the character pieces were nice but it just needed a little bit more than that maybe yeah yeah I, I agree I think it definitely needed even just a little bit more thought gone into the plots I think would have been I think maybe that's why I preferred the third episode because it did feel a lot more plot driven to mm-hmm. me than the others but yeah I, d- I don't know how I feel about Moriarty when's the when's the next series due out I, don't, I mean it's it's always been at this time of year hasn't it mm-hmm. I think so I was assuming that we were going to have to wait for another year but I haven't really looked to be honest I don't think it's very fair that we have to wait an entire year and then we only get three episodes of something mm. that didn't even last three weeks this time because the one the first episode was on on New Year's Day wasn't it yeah that's right <laughs> it's like how unfair <laughs> oh how rude anyway um, I'm becoming very aware that we've just talked for half an hour about Sherlock so <laughs> That's good. But that's probably the only that's that's, that, other than one other thing. We, we, we've been doing lots of nerdy things lately, but um, in the Venn diagram of our nerdiness, there's been almost no crossover, <laughs> as we discovered before we started recording. been absolutely so. terrible. I um, I was going to write down some comics that I read as well, but I didn't really enjoy any this week, and I thought, I don't want to be that, that guy who just goes, everything shoot. And then... Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, please. Yes. I went to see this. Now, picture this, if you will, right? All of my buddies are going to see The Hobbit 2, uh-huh. Desolation of Smog, or whatever it's called. Uh, I am not a Hobbit fan, so I just went by myself to see The Secret Life of Walter Mitty instead. Perfect. Um, so they all went into one screen. They all, all went into one screen. Yep. You went into the other screen. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you were probably and, done a good 90 minutes before they were. <laughs> well, I managed to walk into the city centre and get myself a coffee and read a, a chapter of a book before anybody mm-hmm. else arrived. <laughs> learn, learn how to fly a helicopter. Get pregnant, then have a baby. And no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that film is long. Um, but I, I definitely think I got the uh, the longer straw for this scenario. because yeah, so I've, I've seen both, actually, and, and I would agree with you, I think. Mm. Well, I think, like, 
I did talk to Rich about the Hobbit stuff afterwards because I have seen all the Lord of the Rings films and mm-hmm. I do enjoy them to a certain extent. My problem with them is, and therefore the reason I haven't seen either of the Hobbit films, is that they seem too long given the material. Um, like there's a lot of repeated stuff or very very similar stuff that doesn't really need to be there and like all the action sequences are really good and all the you know the the set designs and the costumes you know everything about it is visually stunning but it's like there's only so many times i can see you know like sam and frodo walking through a field or a swamp or some trees going oh i want to put this ring on no don't do that that's silly i really want to put it on though don't don't put it on frodo don't be stupid like that's there's just no i can't i can't deal with that much and um even the the trees walked in that film (laughs) and to for them to be making three films out of one book which from i mean i've not read the hobbit i've read the lord of the rings trilogy and i did not enjoy it at all um, yeah, I didn't either. I do, it's too long. He just describes mm. nonsense and spends a lot of time singing, which, nah. To, for them to be making three films out of one book, which by all accounts is a, probably a bit smaller than any of the Lord of the Rings books, yeah. just seems so backwards to me. Like, they're going to have to add so much stuff and or drag things out. And I just think, no, if I thought the Lord of the Rings was too long, I'm really not going to like this. Yeah, much. you know what? Yeah, if you say the Lord <laughs> of the Rings is too long, given the amount of content available, you've seen nothing. <laughs> Like the Hobbit, it, it really does just feel like they're dragging out mm. so enormously. I mean, I think it's as somebody that's kind of a little bit of a completist with these things, completist with these things. I'm sort of glad that they're filming them, and then it's going to be like a complete set of the whole story. But yeah, so and I thought the Desolation of Smog was a lot better than the first one, but they just haven't captured that. And I, I love the Lord of the Rings movies, but they just haven't managed to capture that same kind of feeling and atmosphere again. Mm-hmm. I think it was, I can't remember if it was Rich or one of the, uh, our friend Paul who saw it, who said they didn't feel like there's a sense of urgency, like in the in the Lord of the Rings films. You, you're really building up to, are they going to get that bloody ring in the mountain in time? Like, mm-hmm. is this going to happen? So whereas in this, it's just like some stuff happens to some people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a perfect, that, that's, that's sort of like the back of the Blu-ray box set. <laughs> some stuff happens to some people yeah. Um, yeah so i i did not go and see that i went to see um walter mitty and it just about managed because i saw this on the 28th of december it just about snuck in there as my favorite film of 2013 wow yeah yeah i mean admittedly i will put my hands up and say i did not go to the cinema as much as i should have last year i think i saw about 12 films so that's <laughs> that's, that's not really um <laughs> reflective of the film market last year uh but yeah i thought it was amazing wow like properly amazing so what did you like about it so much well i'm i gotta say i'm a bit of a fan of ben stiller anyway like he's he's an actor i know that a lot of people really dislike and a lot of people that other people are really indifferent towards him but i really like him and i think i just think everything about this film was just right if that makes sense like mm-hmm. it just it it flowed well it was the cinematography was brilliant the idea behind it now again i've not read the source material so i'm probably not the best one to comment so i i I could be wrong but i think the source material is actually another book not a film another film not a book i don't i could be wrong i don't think it was ever actually a book oh see i thought it was a short story that, that was then a film that was then this film but I don't, maybe I'm making... Maybe you're right. So I, I know it's definitely another film that stars Danny Kaye. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But um, I Not didn't realise that it was, <laughs> it, it was like 1947 it came out, I think. But um, I didn't actually realise it was based on... Sorry, this is this is where I try to continue talking, whereas really what I'm doing is surfing the internet, trying to find the <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. So it's based on a short story. So I've never read the short story. Meaning? Um, I did see the original film at some point, not for a long time. But yeah, I wouldn't say it was my best film. Of, well, I actually saw it this year, not last year. And I wouldn't say it was my best film so far of 2014. But uh, so it, it kind of received mixed reviews, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. So if you look on Rotten Tomatoes, it's sort of around about the mid 50% mark. Yeah. But I thought, I thought it was a lovely film. I don't I don't think it's going to be like a classic that people are still watching in 20 years' time. But it's just, and I sort of mean this in a good way, it's just a lovely, sweet, inoffensive film that mm-hmm. it's just nice. And that kind of sounds like I'm sort of denigrating <laughs> it a little bit, but it's just, a, do, you, do you know what I mean? It's just like a yeah. nice film. You know, there's nothing, um, you know, it's not violent. There's nothing terribly... Um, you know, they're not fighting to save the world or anything like that. It's just about one guy's sort of quite personal journey that sh- that I agree with you. It is shot in an absolutely, you know, breathtakingly stunning way, mm-hmm. um, and it's just it's just a nice film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but I mean, that, that sounds like it sounds like a <laughs> so patronising. Oh, it's so nice. It is. It's the sort of film that you would you would take home to to tea to meet your mother. Yes. No. It is. I I agree. I agree. I think. Um. Although I've got to say, I've got to say, I think I took entirely the wrong message out of the cinema at the time because um, I, like a lot of people have said, this film's really life affirming and stuff, and I actually came out of it thinking, God, what have I done with my life? <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, completely the opposite of what it was trying to say. And I know that it's just that. Uh, that's just me being grumpy as n- at New Year's, like I am every year. I yeah, I thought it was. Um, I just thought it was really nice, and it's <sighs> visually very interesting. I th- I saw the trailer for it yonks ago, and I immediately thought that's a film I'm going to want to look at because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I like things that are a little bit weird and a little bit strange. Like I think like my favourite film of all time is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, mm-hmm. um, and that's like visually one of the greatest things I've ever put in my eyes. God, that's a, such a wonderful film. Incredibly depressing, but wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it is lovely. And actually there's, so there's, you've probably seen them since you like it so much, but there are lots of, um, there's lots of, um, I really like watching video effects reels where these motion, these video effects houses, you know, put out, you know, this is what we did in this particular movie. And the ones in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is amazing because it just, there's lots and lots and lots of things in that movie that you wouldn't necessarily notice happening whilst you watch it, but that, you know, these special effects houses put in that just just make it incredible, you know, you know where there's a scene where, with, uh, where like, the camera pans in one direction and then there's a little conversation that happens and then it pans back, but the scenery is completely different. It's sort of subtly the same, mm-hmm. but they take things out and put things in and stuff like that because, you know, the way that his mind's being, you know, changed and manipulated. And there's so many clever things in there that on a first viewing you would probably never notice. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to dig those out and watch them because I love that film. And I, I'm I'm a bit notorious for missing things. Like, I'm not very good at paying attention. <laughs> uh-huh. 
<laughs> this is another reason why I'm not going to go and see The Hobbit. Um, <laughs> it's too long. Yeah, but I thought with Secret Life of Walter Mitty, I just sort of fell in love with Walter as a character because he's sort of he's very relatable. Um, You know, you get a lot of films where even films that are set sort of, you know, in the present and in reality where you just can't envision people like that existing. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas he seemed he seemed very believable. And he's uh, Adam Scott, who played his sort of it wasn't his boss. It was the bloke who sort of came in to reorganize the. the He came in to shut it it down, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Essentially to get rid of the uh, the crap as it were because they were streamlining um i thought he was was quite believable in the part that he was playing as well in that mm-hmm. those those sorts of, of people who have jobs where they just essentially go in and tell a lot of people they're fired tend to be quite well not the nicest of people yeah um <laughs> and uh, i just thought and the soundtrack to the film was really good too don't know if you well, I, think, I mean, I, think every, I, mean I, I could you know correct me if i'm wrong because I could just be exposing myself to extreme embarrassment here, but I think everybody is kind of a little bit of a Walter Mitty. Well, I think I certainly, th- you know, everybody has an encounter with somebody, and then after that encounter, you replay, or at least I replay over and over again, the things that I should have said, and kind of, you know, act out how it would have happened if, you know, I was a much more fantastic person than I actually am. And, you know, the scene where... You know, the, I think the first the, the first scene where he flies into fantasy is where he's um he's like standing at the tra- uh, on the platform waiting for train and he just hears the dog barking and then he creates this whole fantasy about it. he's barking because the building's about to explode and he flies into the building and rescues the dog and he creates this pros- prosthetic leg for it and you know, he saves dozens of lives and things like that and I, and I think everybody's maybe not to that extreme but. I certainly I am kind of a little bit like that, that you have, you know, there's there's what's going on in your day-to-day lives. And then there's kind of sort of like, you know, the you that in the back of your mind you would want to be doing all these things. Mm-hmm. Oh, I yeah. Think, I, think that, I think that makes him really relatable because I think everybody kind of has this mm-hmm. sort of internal dialogue and... Yeah, people could be people could be listening to this and think, no, it's just Mitty, um, <laughs> Stace, and Scott that does this. But it, but I think everybody kind of has this internal dialogue where you know there's the person that you are, and then there's this world where you're the person that you would want to be doing all these things. Mm-hmm. And I think actually by by bringing that to the forefront of the film, it's kind of relief. It's, it's sort of like a relief to see that everybody else is a little bit like that as well. Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm such a big daydreamer. And I'm also one of these people who, um, you know, if you have like an argument or a discussion with somebody, I'm I'm the person who two hours later is thinking, that's what I should have said. Because exactly, I've just yeah. spent about three hours just going, oh, what if I'd have done that? And then, <laughs> yeah, I think, it, I just think it's a really... It is. It's a really lovely film. Like mm. it does. It does sound like we're being massively condescending. <laughs> it does, <doesn't> it? <laughs> but it is. It's lovely. But luckily, I get to go and see it again now because obviously Rich hasn't seen it because he was busy mm. seeing The Hobbit. So I now get to go and see it again, which is good. But I, I am going to make much more of an effort to see more films this year because I was crap at it last year. I saw. What did I see? I saw American Hustle a couple of weeks ago. I haven't seen ago. that yet. I'd like to see that. That film. I wasn't paying a, f- a lot of attention to it at the time. I will freely admit this. So the only thing I really remember about that film is that there's a lot of side boob in it. That's, that's always that's always what I look for in a film. <laughs> 
well, I tell you what, you get it in spades in American yeah. Hustle because practically every time you see Amy Adams and Jennifer Lawrence, one of them's got part of the knocker out. So that's pretty much all I remember about that. It does look like there was an explosion in a big factory as well. Oh, gosh. Bradley Cooper's little jerry curls or whatever that is. <laughs> you came back, I lost you for a few seconds there. You, 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 your, your laughter at um, Bradley Cooper's um, hair managed to, uh, managed to actually laugh you off of the internet for a moment. Oh, no. Oh, well, I was just busy explaining that at, some, at one point in the film, um, you see him with rollers in creating these, like, cherry curls. Oh, and it's just the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, the poster kind of looks awesome. Yeah, I am. Um, me and Rich had a bit of a heated discussion about that poster with his with Rich's sister the other day because Sarah and I were both saying that we think that Amy Adams is starting to look a bit past it and a little bit old, <laughs> and that we were all about Jennifer Lawrence on that on that poster. And Rich was like, "No, you're wrong. Amy Adams is by far more attractive." And we were like, "No, no, <laughs> that's not true." <laughs> uh, yeah, so I kind of so one of the things I said we could talk about was the Hunger Games because. Yeah, I, I I would say that I hold Jennifer Lawrence in, in quite high regard. Um, and Amy, So I think it's very difficult to say based on American Hustle. I mean, I haven't seen the film, but just based on the poster, it's hard to say because they're so ridiculously made up. You know, the, the hair is so crazy and they've got such makeup on. I don't, I don't think you can necessarily judge Amy Adams based, uh, based purely on that poster. Yeah. So, just because I don't think it's particularly representative of who she is, but yeah, Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence. We are, we love Jennifer Lawrence. We do. But you haven't, but you haven't seen Catching Fire. No, because I'm rubbish at cinema. So rubbish. So I don't tend to go to the cinema anymore because I'm sort of turning into a grumpy old man, and <laughs> I don't like I don't like people checking their phones and and eating or being in the same room as me most of the time. So. <laughs> So I tend to wait for things to come out. But I did see Catching Fire at the cinema. Um, I saw, I actually saw Gravity uh, and then came straight out of Gravity and then went straight into The Hunger Games. Oh. And I, I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. So you've seen the first one, haven't you? But not... I have second. indeed. I have indeed, yeah. And again, not read the books. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just about to start reading the books. I enjoyed them so much, I've decided to go and... Um, uh, start reading the book. So tomorrow I'm starting the first Hunger Games book because out of so there's this there's this huge kind of um, teen fiction thing going on at the moment, isn't there? So there was um, the host came out last year, and then there's the Hunger Games, and then there's Twilight, and then there's there's all these other things that's kind of there's this market in maybe not teen but sort of young adult fiction. Now that whole entire genre, the one the one that seems to be really working and at least appealing to me, is The Hunger Games, which I just think is... I thought the first film was good, but I thought the second film was um, was fantastic. Oh, that's good. And I can, I can tell you an incredible fact about The Hunger Games. So or the sec- or, so Hunger Games Catching Fire came out in 2013. So, so it was the biggest-selling film of 2013, and that's the first movie to be the biggest film in a given year with a female lead since 1974. Oh my gosh, that's impressive. What was the one in 74? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm trying to think of films from 74, but I'm not that good at years. Uh, no, I don't know. Yeah, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> if you hear typing, then it's, you know, it's definitely not me trying to look it up on the internet. That's very impressive, though. I am. I'm quite excited about about seeing Catching Fire because I thought because I know a lot of people who were 
I know Hunger Games is, is very popular, but a lot of the people that I know who have read the books said that the film didn't really capture what the books were going for in terms of the message and the overall sort of like theme of it. But I just thought that, that the first film was just like I was genuinely on the edge of my seat and like it's I think it's it's a testament to a good film if you can get somebody so emotionally involved that if a character dies they cry. Because I'm not a big crier, especially well I am a big crier, I cry all the time, but not at, <laughs> not at films and TV and stuff. It takes a lot to get me that emotionally invested that I'll get upset about something. And I genu- when the little girl dies in the first one, I genuinely shed quite a lot of tears. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm extremely cold-hearted when it comes to film. It's, it's very difficult for me to um, uh, cry. And, you know, part of the problem is, is I watch so many, you kind of get used to all the techniques that they use to try and make you cry. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I don't remember ever being moved by the Hunger Games. But the se- I mean, the, the, the second one I just think is, it's kind of more of the same but better. And yeah, and you, I mean, having seen the first one, I thought, you know, they can't really take that anywhere other than do exactly the same thing again. And they sort of do, but they just do it better and more cleverly and, and it moves the plot along. And um, yeah, I just loved it. I thought it was a great film. I'm trying to find out what the highest rated <laughs> film is, but I've, I've completely failed, so I'm going to stop doing that, because otherwise I'm just going to be sitting here Probably. in complete silence. <laughs> and we'll be here all night. Exactly. I'm glad um, I'm glad to hear you say that about the second film, though, because I know there were a few people who said it wasn't as good as the first, which is, I think is always a bit of um, a bit of a, a thing with sequels, isn't it? You don't really expect it to be as good, or maybe you expect a bit too much of it, so when you go in, you're a bit disappointed. So it's nice to hear that somebody enjoyed it more than the first one. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. And so you didn't you didn't like Gravity. So, so I'm just looking through my list because we should, you know, time, time is marching on. But I want to know why you didn't like Gravity. Two reasons. One, it was boring. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it was essentially like an hour and a half of watching Sandra Bullock go, woo! in space mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, the second reason i didn't like it was i really hated that backstory they gave her about her daughter that had passed away yeah that was like that was felt no need for it at all wasn't like it? yeah i already felt sorry enough for her that she was stranded in space on her own with potentially no way of getting back home i didn't need any other reason to feel bad for this lady and it felt very much like it was tacked on because she was a lady i don't know if that was their intention but it felt very sort of like because we didn't learn much about George Clooney's character, and it, I was sad enough when he sort of floated off into space, never to return. Yeah, so, so, so uh, I don't suppose you saw the Golden Globes, did you? No. Last night, so there was so it was presented by Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. So there's a reason for me saying this: <laughs> Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. And in their introduction, they were talking about Gravity. They said Gravity—that's the film where George Clooney would rather die than spend another minute attached to a woman um, <laughs> at the same age as him. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant! <laughs> I did. Um, I did. Uh, yeah, I did. I was actually a bit sad when his character floated off because I was like, "Oh, I was a bit more interested in you, actually." Yeah. <laughs> you seem to have a bit more about him. I don't know. Um, I, mean, I think I. I mean, to be honest, I I really liked it, but I think I just liked it because it was so beautiful. Like, it, to be honest, if they, if they'd have just if they'd have just done that without kind of the plot or the characters. <laughs> then I think I would have been equally just, impressed with it. Just filmed some space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did, I did think it was stunning. Like, I, you know, I came out of it and I said to Rich, I can't say it was a bad film because technically it isn't. It just was not for me at all. Yeah, I think I mean, technically it was breathtaking and, and obviously the, 
he's very, very famous for doing um, these very, very long cuts. And that opening scene, which is 12 and a half minutes long, and obviously it's all done with special effects, so it must cut several times. But it looks like one continuous take. Mm -hmm. And it's just, uh, yeah, I think technically it's just breathtaking. And I just love watching it. And I've seen it more than once, but I just love watching it because it looks so good. And I, I think I could quite happily just you know, turn the volume off and put on put on some music or something like that and, and probably enjoy it just as much. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to say, though, it did better than the... Oh, I've lost you, I think. Are you there? Still can't hear anything. Hello? Hello, I can hear you now. Oh, good times. I have now got, like, the headset from one plugged in and the mic from the other headset plugged in. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. I hope this is picking up though recording wise, otherwise I'm a bit fucked. <laughs> well if I can hear you then that must be okay, surely. I'd like to think so. <laughs> so yeah. we were we were like we were talking about gravity and then it was yes. like we were George Clooney and Sandra Bullock <laughs> in gravity losing just, contact with each other. Just floating around in space. Except, in except with, with obviously much, much greater sexual magnetism than, than they have. <laughs> well, obviously. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad this is not a video podcast. Um, <laughs> no, I was just saying, Gravity actually fared better than the last space film that I saw at the cinema because I didn't fall asleep in Gravity, uh, which is good. Because um, <laughs> I did, um, I think it was for our anniversary, not last year, but the year before. Uh, Rich and I went to see 2001 A Space Odyssey at the Electric Cinema seems- in Birmingham. And we sat on a sofa and it was really hot and I just fell asleep and then woke up and there was a fetus and I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> I was like, ah, what's occurring? <laughs> so, so that was a... Yeah. So 2001 is one of my favourite films of all time. Oh, really? I really wish I hadn't, like... I think the problem was that... Um, We'd had, like, a, a couple of friends over the night before, so I hadn't really slept. It was really warm. It was really dark. And, uh, and I just nodded off. And Because uh, the film's quite quiet, actually. I woke up during the intermission, because they had the intermission, uh, and then I fell asleep again, and then there were some flashing lights and then a fetus, and that's... I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, if you'd have actually watched the whole movie from beginning to end, you probably wouldn't have much more of an idea, because it's, very, <laughs> it's kind of opaque what happens. But... Um, it's, but it's kind of one of those movies that's great to fall asleep to. So, so, so in the original theatrical version, which I have, the screen is completely black for the first six minutes. Oh. And then they just like play music, and then there's absolutely no dialogue in the film. I think for the first fifteen minutes. Right. And then there's no dialogue in the last fifteen minutes either. And, and then in the intervening time, they they barely say anything anyway. So. I love it. I mean, I think it's a great film. I am going to make the effort one day to watch it in its entirety and not sleep through it because I think it seems like the kind of film I would enjoy if I was awake. <laughs> you know, again, perfect for the back of the Blu-ray. <laughs> I'm so quotable. Ah. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, right, because of the time and the fact that um, Skype seems to hate the pair of us, is there anything else you would like to talk about, Governor? I'm going to mention a few things very, very quickly, mm-hmm. just because I've been watching them and, and this is my opportunity. So I've seen Almost Human, which is Carl Urban. We, do you love Carl Urban? We should, we should all love Carl Urban. I think, yes, I think I do. Carl Urban's one of those people, though, who I didn't quite realise was in as much as he was. 
um, like he sort of gets away with just existing in things without me really noticing. <laughs> like, yeah, he's in crazy things. He's in Chronicles of Riddick. He's in, oh, he's in everything. Yeah, I'm sure wasn't he in like Lord of the Rings or something? And I just had no idea. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right. Yeah, I think he is. Absolutely bamboozling. I is it good? Uh, Almost Human because it is something I would like to watch. It's yeah, it's not bad. So it it literally ticks every single cliched box you can possibly imagine. Ah. But it kind of it kind of does it in in a way that's sort of so entertaining you don't mind too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's literally you know that the the cop the loner cop that that's been injured and is going back to work and you know and the psychiatrist doesn't think he should go back to work and he's partnered up with somebody that he doesn't really like and is a lot more straight laced than he is and mm-hmm. um, you know if if you think of kind of every sort of cop cliche you can possibly imagine it it does it mm-hmm. but i think it it, it does it so much that so i think they're probably doing it deliberately but it's kind of fun because of that and it's sort of set in the near future and you know all cops have to be partnered up with like a robot and it's then going off investigating things and stuff like that i'm hoping that it's going to be one of those things where it starts off quite episodic but then there's going to be some sort of point to the whole thing that we haven't seen quite yet Mm-hmm. yeah it's entertaining it's fun I, I definitely recommend so i haven't seen that many episodes i've only seen like the first couple but it's definitely worth um at least checking out and then deciding whether you like it or not Ooh, i shall have to give that a go and then let me just mention one more thing mm-hmm. which is uh upstream color which probably nobody's ever heard of except for me no idea what you want to miss <laughs> so one of my favorite films is a time travel movie called primer which is almost impossible to understand what goes on. <laughs> Do you know, I'm so glad... I've, I've not seen that film, but Rich keeps telling me I should watch it, and I keep maintaining that if somebody as smart as you doesn't know what happens, I'm never going to get it. <laughs> oh, no, I think I know what happens, but it, but it, it, takes, <laughs> it takes a lot of watching. Mm. But it's, fan, it's fantastic. It's one of my favourite films. It's absolutely brilliant. But So, so Shane Coverth, who, who's just somewhat uber-genius, so he... Um, he produced, directed, wrote the music for, wrote the script for, and starred in Primer. Oh, gosh. And then his second film is Upstream Colour. So this is kind of the, the next movie. And he did the same thing. So he, he executive produced, produced, directed, wrote the script, wrote all the music, and starred in Upstream Colour as well. Mm-hmm. And it's about these two people. So it's kind of like this semi-sci-fi thing. So it's sort of a love story between these two people. And they're both infected with a parasite. And the parasite sort of swaps their memories between the two of them. So as the relationship develops, they don't really know whether... They don't really know what their own memories are or whether it's something that they're remembering from the other person's life. Mm -hmm. And then it it just kind of... It's sort of difficult to talk about it anymore without spoiling it, and it's to do with the life cycle of this parasite. But it's again, it's it's something that takes more than one viewing to understand. But um, but it's just it's just a really stunning but quite sort of slow film. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that I've watched. I've got a hold of it, and I've watched it a few times actually this week, just because it's. <laughs> you must be the same. There must be some films that you like that you can just sort of, like, have on in the background when you're doing other things. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. But all of mine are like stupid comedies (laughs) that you don't have to pay attention to. (laughs) Yeah, so Upstream Colour is one of those for me. So um, if you like Primer, you should definitely watch Primer. But but you should watch Primer not expecting to have a single clue what's going on the first time you watch it. I just feel like I'm too thick for Primer. I don't... (laughs) I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I feel like that film's going to make me feel bad about myself and my level. No, not at all. You'll be fine. As long as you go, in, as long as you go in with the realization that there's absolutely no way that you can possibly understand what happens in it, the first time you watch it, <laughs> yeah. you'll be fine. Okay. Just let it wash over you. That's the thing. What's that about? So, so it's these, th- it's these three engineers that are trying to invent something, and they accidentally end up in- inventing a time machine. But in order to travel backwards in time. You have to stay in the machine for the amount of time. Oh, you that you want to travel back. Yeah. So, so if you want to go back in time a week, you have to sit inside this machine for a week, and then you you end you end up like a week in the past. Mm-hmm. And then um, what they basically do is they try and so they start out by trying to game the stock market. So they'll go back a day. So so they'll get the newspaper, look at what's happening. In, in the stocks, they'll go back a day and then they'll buy a bunch of stocks in order to make money on them. Mm-hmm. But then every time they go, but, but when they go back, there's like obviously another version of themselves still wandering around. Oh. And then, although they start out as friends, they slowly begin to turn on each other a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then the confusion comes in is because they're, because they're constantly trying to get one over each other. They're constantly going back in time to try and alter things and like change conversations. So there's so you end up with about six different timelines happening simultaneously that you don't realise that there's lots of different timelines until you get to the end of the film. Oh cripes. Yeah, this sounds like it's gonna bamboozle me. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But, but but the thing is as long as you go in knowing that I'm gonna watch but like even if you don't know what's going on, it's still an entertaining film to watch. And as long as you go in and you realise that I, there's no way that it is possible to understand in one showing of this film, then it'll sounds be fine. Good. It's it a great film. Good. It's a great film. I'll have to... I'm sure Rich was... Um, <laughs> I don't know if you ever listened to Rich's uh, very short-lived uh, Projected Ramblings podcast that I think lasted maybe three episodes. I was going to um, say, I would have totally listened to a podcast that Rich did. I did. This obviously <laughs> completely passed me by. I, uh, I keep trying to get him to do it again because I've got loads of room on my feed, but I'm too lazy to do another podcast myself. Um, Rich did an episode about um, his favourite time travelly films, um, and Primer was one of them. And listening to Rich try and explain to his friend Ben how the machine works is so fucking funny because <laughs> Ben's obviously got no because co- what Ben didn't understand was he thought if you got in the machine for a week and therefore went back a week you'd be at the place you started if that makes sense so you would spend a week in there and therefore having traveled back a week you'd be now again like the present as opposed to going back in time a week if that makes any sort of sense but he yeah. could get that across to Rich and Rich couldn't get across to him exactly what <laughs> was really happy <laughs> it just became like this absolute nonsense episode <laughs> it was brilliant i'm sure that this is this is a whole awesome. concept this is a whole concept for a great podcast series people <laughs> trying to explain really complicated films to other people <laughs> that haven't seen them oh gosh it was right, so we, right, we can think of the first five episodes before we finish so prime <laughs> was a good one uh, Memento, I think, would be a good uh, one. Do you know, I haven't seen that. I think that's the only um, Nolan film I haven't seen now. It's really bad of me, isn't it? 
Oh, I think you'd like it. I think I'd like it too. I like yeah. all the films. I can't see why I wouldn't like it. I should probably watch that eventually. I've got it's so very many cleverly done because you know the, you know the whole film is shown backwards. Yeah, yeah. And then, but but apparently, if, I don't have it on DVD. But apparently, if you have the DVD, there's a special feature on the DVD that rearranges the film so you can watch it in the right order if you want. Oh. Seems a little bit like it's ruining the original. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you should probably watch. You should probably watch the normal version first. Yeah, yeah. and then watch the special feature. Yeah, I would suggest that was probably a good idea. Two thousand one is definitely a film that. <laughs> Inevitable. Space fetus. I don't understand. <laughs> I really will watch that when I'm awake one day. I promise. It's a lovely film. I I, I think it's brilliant, but. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> oh dear. Um, because uh, of the fact that we've been rambling for a really long time, I'm just going to quickly zip through the other thing I was going to talk about. I read issue one of the Twilight Zone comic, What Has Just Come Out, the other day. And um, as somebody who has never, well, I think I've seen like maybe three episodes of Twilight Zone that Rich has like forced me to watch because he thinks it's great um, in my life. So I'm not like up on what the Twilight Zone like sort of is or, you know, what it's like in terms of tone and whatever. Um, But I thought the comic was really, really good. It's drawn by somebody whose name I'm not even going to try. It's spelled G-U-I-U. G-U. Somebody, uh, Villanova, and um, it's written by uh, JMS, actually. Awesome. Um, It's very good. It was one of these books that I was was sort of like enjoying, but it felt quite generic. And then the last page just totally turned it on its head. And I was like, ah, I want issue two now. Where is it, please? So that's kind of the point of the Twilight Zone. So the Twilight Zone was just an anthology series where it was it was a different story every week, but kind of the point of the story is it would always have like a little twist at the end. Mm-hmm. Oh, crap, does that mean issue two might not even have some sort of resolution to this? <laughs> so so the tr- I, I can't tell you about the comic, but... <laughs> Um, so in the TV series, it was always a different, a completely different story every week. It'd be interesting if that's the route they go down, because that's that's actually quite exciting. (laughs) If they they don't do that, it kind of almost defeats the object of it being called the Twilight Zone, I think. Is it it written by JMS every month? Do you know, I haven't really looked into it. I just thought, Rich just sort of gave it to me and said, read this, it's tits. So I was like, okay, and I did, and it was. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought, yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, The art, like, I wasn't fully sold on the art, but... um, it was a good enough story that I was. I'm I'm sold for get, looking at issue two. I think. Yeah, well, you you have to report back and um and say whether it's a completely different story. I'm, I'm hoping that it is. I kind of hope not, it's, then there. it's not, Then it's not the Twilight Zone if it's not. Yeah, well, well, Rich said that to me because after like when I'd finished reading it, I said, "Oh, that that I said to him, you know, that book seemed like it was a fairly generic, you know, if interesting but fairly generic concept all the way through." And then it was like, "Whoa!" And I was like, "I need to have the next issue." And Rich was like, "Well, yeah, that's that's kind of the point, really, that it seems fairly normal, or not not normal, but like realistic in terms of you know the universe it's creating, as it were." Because the story of this one is actually about um, a, a company that develop a pill that can um, entirely change the way you look. Like literally, it can increase your bone mass. So you've got an entirely different shape, and it will change the shape of your face and the colour of your eyes and all this sort of stuff. Um, so that if if people 
do shady dealings and need a fancy new identity, they can actually get a completely shiny new one mm-hmm. without having to steal someone else's. Um, which seemed like a fairly interesting, if not sort of simple, like sort of sci-fi-ish concept. Uh, and then, yeah, then the last page was just like, boom, and there's that then. And I was like, oh, you what? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm quite excited to, to, to read issue two a bit uh, of that because I don't know whether it's because they've gotten rubbish or because I'm growing out of superhero comics, but I'm, like, really not not in a Marvel or a DC place lately. <laughs> I, I've ne- I haven't read superhero comics for a long time. Um, apart from Watchmen, which I seem to read like every six months or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I um, it's a funny one with me because there are like certain books that I'll always go to that um that are still good. Like obviously, I still read Deadpool uh, every month because I'm addicted to Deadpool, and um, I still read like Captain Marvel. I go straight to Hawkeye. I go straight to. I'm naming all Marvel things here. I'm just realising. Um, <laughs> but I think like everything else, I'm really like struggling to read. I mean. And there's been a lot of um avengers stuff at the moment that's like crossing over with x-men stuff that's crossing over with other stuff because they're doing like a big i forget what it's even called there's some sort of crossover going on that i've forgotten the name of um <laughs> so i just I, I don't have the gumption to read like a big like a big story all the time so most of the comics that i'm enjoying at the moment are just like either like vertigo or just like not big two at all <laughs> Like, uh, I'm still addicted to Little Depressed Boy. It's not my favourite thing ever. I've not even heard of that. Oh, it's wonderful. It's, um, do you know, I can't remember off the top of my head who um, who publishes that. I want to say it's Image, but I might be lying, so I'm going to look it up if I can, because I am stupid and I can't multitask. But it is basically about uh, a little, he's like a sack boy kind of guy. Uh-huh. And it's, 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 it's hard to explain without making it sound crap. <laughs> because it's basically just about a guy who is slightly depressed just like going through life and he looks like a sack boy and that makes it sound terrible but it's actually genuinely brilliant it's like mm-hmm. my favorite uh, i got quoted on the back of volume three of that and i got a little bit overexcited by that little fact it's fantastic quite, it's quite brilliant i was like oh my god that's my name and got uh, i took a photo of it because <laughs> i'm a bit like that um well, as, as we've established during this episode that you're eminently quotable in the back of covers of things <laughs> yeah definitely i think it says along the lines of core blimey you should be reading this <laughs> which uh I, I do use the phrase core blimey a bit too much core blimey you should be reading this on the back of um, the new sherlock holmes dvd it'll be um <laughs> When I found out he was ginger, I nearly did a six week. <laughs> oh, I don't regret saying that at all. It's true. Uh, he's a handsome man. Um, yeah, but Little Depressed Boys by Image, and I'm not going to say any more about it because I'm not going to be able to sell you on it because it's really difficult, but it is brilliant. It's genuinely brilliant. But, yeah, like I'm not, I'm not into the whole – I'm not feeling the capes and tights as much as I was. Um, so I'm just looking for like shiny new interesting things to read and uh, Twilight Zone kind of fit the brief <laughs> I perfect. enjoyed it quite a lot and, and what a perfect place to possibly end since we've been doing this for nearly two hours <laughs> do you know this is probably one of my shorter uh, recording sessions <laughs> I am terrible at knowing when to shut up though it's uh... well this is kind of the point now we've been doing this we've been doing these podcasts for so long we're now just doing it for them ourselves aren't we? oh yeah you know? and, and possibly people listen maybe they do maybe they don't i'm sure they listen to you 
I like to ramble, therefore I will. <laughs> Perfect. Indeed. Well, thank you so much for joining me uh, in the little old parlour. I hope you had a good time. I had a fantastic time. Thank you very much for having me. I hope I'll get invited back at some point. Oh, definitely. My um, my list of uh, people who are due on the show is so small. I'm blatantly going to be like mining the air. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Cycle cycle me in. Give give me a chance to watch something else, and then um, I'll definitely be back. Well, I do. I have plans for next episode anyway because it's the big birthday episode. So um, I'm not going to reveal any of the plans yet in case they entirely fall through. But um, but there's plans. Oh yes. <laughs> But yeah, is there anything you would like to plug or Twitter that you would like people to know about that they can follow you on or anything? Um, so I've, I've, I kind of don't Twitter anymore. I really should get back into it. But um, um, no, so listen to Comic Book Outsiders because we're still going very occasionally. Um, <laughs> if you have uh, an Android phone or an, an, uh, an iPhone or an iPod or anything like that, then download all of the games um, produced by Outsider Games because uh, that's me and Stephen Downey's um, company. Oh, did not know that. So we have, so we can we can say that officially, as far as we know, we have the only game in those app stores that's about stripping. <laughs> nice. Because we did the official, we did the official game tie-in of the Sony Lionsgate movie Magic Mike, which is the Steven Soderbergh, uh, Channing Tatum movie about strippers. So if you okay. fancy a game about stripping. Then um, uh, we have the game for you. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, that's that's tickled me, that has. <laughs> I'm blatantly going to go and download that immediately after yeah, this. So it's kind of a little bit like Guitar Hero, but when you get a certain amount of time in the game, it, it tells you to shake the device, and if you shake the device, it removes an item of clothing. <laughs> oh, lovely. I was wondering what you were going to say was, was going to shake then. Um <laughs> got somewhat concerned anyway <laughs> um if you would like to follow me on twitter chaps i am stace bob t capital s capital t i'm also stace bob t on instagram if you like to look at pictures of food and uh buildings because that's mostly what i take pictures of uh, <laughs> which is a bit weird but oh well and occasionally the odd comic going oh read this this is good um also if you'd like to be on the show because my list is dwindling and it would be nice to get some uh, some people on you can drop me an email at stacysparlour at gmail.com and I think that's it ah oh, jolly good thanks again for coming on and I will see you lovely listeners next month ta-ra Pleasure.